everybody. How you doing? Well, that's good. I regret to inform you that we are without our fearless leader, William Matz, who is feeling a bit under the weather, but you still have me, Kelly, Charlie, and Stephanie Driver, so we're going to do the best that we can without Bill Matz. This is Ice Sport Radio, the Broad Street Hockey Radio show where we take our feet out of the Flyers pool and dip them into the rest of the league pool, and of course, always talk about the Flyers because we are these people. <laughs> I am joined, as I said, by Charles O'Connor and Stephanie Driver. Charlie, how are you this evening? I'm I'm great. I'm a little tired, but I'm good on the whole. It's been a big week for you, hasn't it's it? It's been a very big week. Lots of stuff has happened. And the good thing is that people kind of care about the Flyers again, which is neat. <laughs> it is a, a whole different thing from the rest of the season. It's a nice change, I think. And of course, we are joined by Bill's broadcast partner in crime, Stephalicious G, Steph Driver. I think I'm your broadcast partner. You're my life partner in crime. It's very true. Very true. (laughs) Um, I would like to point out that Austin Matthews is elite and the Leafs are winning the cup this year. Thank you. Yeah. So this isn't how I was going to start the show, but since you did this, that goal the other night in overtime was like, I don't know, man. That was ridiculous. Did everybody see that goal? I saw the goal. He's quite good Uh, at hockey. Between... Between the Kapanen play, where he just dropped the puck and created space for Matthews, and then the snipe, like, just beautiful. It's beautiful. That's I, how the sport is supposed to be played. Yeah, it was it was quite pretty. So, yes, everyone should remember that Austin Matthews, Stephanie Driver's favorite adult son from Toronto, is in fact elite. And just because he's not Connor McDavid doesn't mean he's not good. People forget that. He's very good. All right, so... Like Charlie said, it's been a big week for the Flyers, and I know it's the NHL show, but as I said, we are Flyers people and we can't help ourselves, so we are going to talk a little bit about what happened today, which was the officially official Chuck Fletcher press conference, and of course, Charlie was there for his writing at TheAthletic.com. Charlie, what would you say are the big takeaways from this press conference? Um, So I actually just published an article like 20 seconds Ooh. ago. My ed- My editor just published it. Um, I submitted it about like a half an hour ago. Uh, but basically the main thrust of the article that I, I tried to get across is how, <laughs> there you go, uh, <laughs> was that uh, what was striking to me is how how much Fletcher sounded like Hextall. Uh, he just, he didn't sound, I, I think understandably there's been a feeling that, oh, well, Paul Holmgren is going to go out and hire Paul Holmgren, you know, the spiritual successor to Paul Holmgren because he's done with all this patience bullshit. And that honestly may end up being how it plays out. You know, maybe Fletcher will actually make all of the moves and this press conference kind of will seem a bit disingenuous in retrospect, but in the here and now, like, Fletcher just kind of sounded like a, you know, a pretty moderate long view type of guy. And it didn't sound, there were some quotes that he, that he dropped that if you, if you had like a sporkle quiz and it was, you know, is this Chuck Fletcher or is this Ron Hextall? It would have been 50, 50, like it could have came from either of them. And I, I have to think that on Fletcher's part, that was intentional that, that either, either the higher ups wanted him to present himself like that, or he wanted to present himself like that to, to make it clear to the fans that this wasn't going to be a return to the, the chaos of, of the home Grenier. Yeah, I actually, I was able to listen to about five minutes of the press conference, and my favorite question actually came from you, Chuck. Hey! Um, Where you asked if there was anything that he would have done differently in his past, and he made, he told the story about how he traded Nick Letty, and then he made a joke (laughs) and said, "How's, how's Nick Letty doing? And I was like, all right, well... Number one, he's got a personality, so I love him. And number two, he could tell on himself, so I love him. I, I, I'm I'm optimistic that this is going to work out. Yeah, and one of the things that I think Twitter kind of grabbed onto was this analytics comment that was made by our another new our other new addition, Rick Wilson. Um, but Charlie, thankfully, provided some context for that. Do you want to talk a little bit about that, Charles? Yeah, you know, it wasn't. It wasn't as bad as it was originally presented. I'm not saying it was this fantastic comment, but I think like you hire if you hire a 68 year old, you know you're not getting someone who's gung ho on Corsi and Fenwick and expected goals. Like you're just not. They're 
maybe there's a couple out there that are the couple hockey lifers out there that at age 60 decided that all this advanced stat stuff was the coolest thing in the world and got super into it. But this is kind of what you're getting when you hire an old guy. And, and to be honest, like he basically said, yeah, stats aren't really my thing, but they're the thing of the other young guys. And I'm more than willing to like basically listen to the young guys if that's what they're, what they're following. But I was hired to bring my experience to the table and I bring 30 years of it and that's where I think I can help. And like, I think it's more just a matter of like, if you expected this guy to be gung ho analytics, it was just, it was just un unreasonable. And, but at the same time, hiring a guy who developed Daryl Sador, Darian Hatcher, Sergey Zuboff, the entire Minnesota defense core, like, I'm the biggest analytics person you're going to find, but there's absolutely value in, in bringing somebody in who developed all those guys and knows how to, because when it comes down to it, developing a, a, a kid, like, yes, stats are important in the sense where you're able to track how they're doing, but developing a kid is all about feel. And it's all about knowing like what, how, how far you can push them, how far you shouldn't push them, what to say, what not to say. And that's the kind of stuff that can't be quantified. And that's this kind of stuff that I'm hoping Wilson can help with. I don't, really care that much that he's not the biggest stat guy in the world, you know? Yeah. And I know that that's the thing that we all value now in hockey, but I do think that there is definitely some importance that comes with having a balance as far as your team goes when it's run, you know, the people who are running the hockey team. Um, you don't want to have all computer boys. You don't want to have all hockey men finding that balance where you can get the best of both worlds, I think is a, a good idea. So I'm glad to see that the Flyers are doing it. I think it's hilarious that there's this it, it I don't know if it's just in our little circle of fandom but that Flyers fans are all gung-ho on on the stats guys and the nerds guys the, the nerds guys yeah that's that's good English driver um but like all in on on numbers and nerds when like that's never been the case with Flyers fans like Hello. <laughs> no, but I think, you know, we all see Kyle Dubas and we just want him to run our team because of what's going on in Toronto. But I mean, that's it's not realistic know? because he let this whole Nylander thing go for a very long time. He did. That's true. Um, which we're going to actually talk about a little bit later on the show. But before we move on from the flyer stuff, um, I might be the only person who cares about this kind of stuff, but it drives me absolutely crazy. So I'm going to talk about it. Um, in Sam Carcidi's piece, he kind of just had a bunch of block quotes listed out from the press conference. And one of these quotes from Bob Clark, who, as we all know, worked with Fletcher uh, many years ago in Florida. Um, he said, essentially, I'll just read a little bit of it. What was important to me was that everybody who worked for us was included. And Chuck, right from the start, was really good at asking people's opinions and listening to the responses and asking if we could do more. When a trade was made, Chuck and I were the two who sat down and worked together. We didn't necessarily have to agree, but we could ask each other questions and get an answer. And Chuck would talk to scouts and stuff. Nobody was left out in the dark. Flyers And Sam Carcidi adds that Flyers executives thought that Fletcher's predecessor, Hextall, did not give them enough input. And my question then is why is the Flyers front office made up of such a bunch of whiny piss babies? <laughs> Like you, that you, is what it sounds like. Yeah, right? I mean, you hired a guy to do a job. You hired Ron Hextall to do a job. And you might not have agreed with everything that he did, but if you were going to try to micromanage him to death and expect him to take your input on every single move that he made, why don't you just do it then? What yeah. do we need Ron for? I don't know. Charlie, am I the only one bothered by this? Um, I, I definitely think that... I, I think I talked about this on the... Uh, on the, the flagship show earlier this week that I think what kind of needs to be like one thing that you have to remember is that the flyers organization for a long time was sort of unique in that it had this family atmosphere and no one ever leaves the flyers. If you played for them and everybody in the front office felt like they were involved in the, in the de decision-making process and the discussion. And I think it's important to note that like, that's not the way it works everywhere. That's why the flyers were unique. And that's why people, really want wanted to work for the flyers so i don't know if hextall if he, the changes that hextall made were really that out of line with the rest of the nhl like they were probably a little bit further in the in the dictatorship type of realm but i don't think it was as bad as it seemed it just to all these people who were only used to the flyers way and only used only 
spent their entire careers pretty much in the Philadelphia Flyers bubble with, with Ed Snyder running the show, it seemed like this gigantic shift. And that's part of the reason I think why they they were so pissed off about it is because it just things were never done like this in Philadelphia. And I think that's also part of the reason why Hextall seems so perplexed about this type of feedback because yeah, he played for the Flyers. He worked, you know, he was kind of in that world, but he kind of grew up under Dean Lombardi and the Kings with regards to being a general manager. And to him, a lot of the stuff he was implementing wasn't that big of a deal, but to the lifers, the Flyers lifers, it was this, this awful thing that it just, it didn't seem like the Ed way. And I think that's, that's a lot of what, what drove the, the anger with Hextall and all these, all these comments about, you know, him not being a great guy and stuff like that. Piss babies, in my humble opinion. Agreed. <laughs> but okay, let's move on from the Flyers. The big news this week was out of the NHL Board of Governors meeting, the official vote on the Seattle expansion, which was of course approved because no one turns down $650 million for free. So we will be getting an NHL hockey team in Seattle, and it looks like it's going to come to us in June of 2021, not 2020. Surprise, surprise. Um, they're going to hold the expansion draft at the Seattle Center Arena, which is going to undergo a whole lot of renovations between now and then. And the rules for the draft will be exactly the same as they were for the Golden Knights, which I think is what we expected. Um, so I'm not super interested in that. And this, But this next thing, which I think a lot of people probably already knew, but it totally slipped my mind, was that the Las Vegas Golden Knights are going to be exempt from yeah. exposing players for the draft, which to me seems a little bit odd because by 2021, they're going to be a pretty well-established hockey team. They weren't supposed to be. Exactly. They weren't supposed to be a well-established hockey team. This was, this was part of the agreement that they made when they entered the league that the next expansion draft, they would be exempt from it. Yeah. I mean, you we're know. definitely like, we now have the knowledge that the, that Vegas is a good team. Like, how good of a team, that's still up for debate, but they're certainly not a bad team. And I think there was a general expectation prior to last season that they were going to be a bad team, and they were going to be a bad team for quite a while. So everybody just sort of agreed to this, like, yeah, that makes sense because Vegas is going to suck for the first three years, and we don't want to be tearing this team apart just as they're probably finally ready to turn the corner. Well, it turned out that they, they turned the corner within – like the first week of last year's regular season. So now it seems insane that like this team who very well could be a cup contender in going into the 2021 season, won't have to worry about losing someone. But as Steph said, it makes sense based on where everyone thought they were going to be right now. And even a couple of years down the line. Yeah. So let's talk a little bit about this 2021 nonsense, because we've all been laboring under the idea that this was going to happen in 2020. And what's pretty hilarious to me is that the way that they framed this change in the timeline is that they want to make sure that the guys in Seattle have their whole practice facility built and ready to go. They want to make sure the arena's perfect. It's going to give them a little bit more time to get things done. But I think we all know exactly why we're waiting till 2021. That would be the lockout. The in lockout that everyone is just accepting is going to happen, which is just yeah. the I, greatest I, way to do business think that that is the whether it was and, and there's absolutely no doubt in my mind that this was intentional but like come on come on Gary like you can do better at hiding the fact that you're expecting a lockout yeah like come on we're not all idiots Gary Gary we Gary know. we know buddy get it together dude um I've also heard that that Seattle arena is not close to yeah. being ready yeah. no it's like you a know, mess from what I understand could it could it be in in a year or even uh it would be have to be a year year and a half maybe but I, I I do think that they need that extra time um that all being said this is absolutely because they're anticipating a lockout yeah th yeah there's has to be like the arena thing I I think it's safer for them to push it back to to 2021 in a like just in case this thing just doesn't resolve itself, it's good to have that extra buffer year. But you, you can't tell me that the possibility of a lockout isn't influencing this to a degree. You just can't. Yeah, and we've spent a lot of time on this show talking about what we would name this team if it were up to us. Um, Kraken. 
Yeah, and we, of course it should be the Kraken. That's the obvious best Give name. Give me the Kraken. But it probably won't be because the NHL hates fun. But one of the things that I thought was interesting, um, there was a little girl in a hockey jersey at the reveal of the um, their expansion coming into fruition. And she had on a red and black hockey jersey of the team that she played for. And I forget who it was that tweeted it, but something along the lines of, take a look at that jersey. You might want to remember what it looks like. And then if you went to the official NHL Seattle website, the whole announcement was in a kind of a red color scheme, which would lead you to believe that they're going with red as the team color, which I kind of find curious given that it's the Emerald City and everything in Seattle is green. It just seems like an interesting choice. Yeah, it seems like a bad decision. Yeah, somebody brought up... I don't I, love it. I forget if this was in, in our Slack chat or if it was on Twitter. Somebody brought up the possibility that they don't want to have the same colors as the Canucks since they're so close, which I guess I understand to a degree, but newsflash, there are different tones of green right? that you can use. Like you could have very And e- blue. And blue. You could very easily have picked those colors, but just had different shades. So it was very clear they are not reenacting or recreating the, uh, the Vancouver Canucks jerseys. Yeah, I, I think this is dumb if it's not green, especially because I think there are some cities like Pittsburgh. As much as I, as much as they annoy me, I always like the fact that all of their teams are bl- are black and yellow. Like I think that yeah. it, that's cool. It's cool that there's there's continuity across the sports, and it's kind of the same way in Seattle. Like they now they only have the uh, the Mariners, but the Mariners are are like blue or they have that bluish green, and then the Seahawks have that bluish green. Like it would have kind of been cool to have. Seattle be sort of like a Pittsburgh where all the colors, all, all the teams have similar colors and it just kind of makes for, I don't know, a, mar- a little bit of a marketing boost there. But if they're going with red, it, I just, I just hope it, they, their jerseys don't end up looking like the devils because who likes yeah, the that, devils? No, that would be bad. The supersonics were definitely not green though, right? Weren't they like green and yellow? I think. See, I, in my head, I was thinking mostly yellow, but I could be completely wrong. I, think I was thinking I, yeah, I, I think there were there was green. Let me take a quick look. I'm pretty sure there was green though. Yeah, they were green and yellow. So oh, okay, uh, they, all the all their teams were gra- like have a Had green some sort green. of vibe. Yeah, so I don't know. Maybe they can they can sneak it in. You know, have it be like a secondary color, but at the same time, like oh re- Christmas jerseys. Yeah, I don't no. know if red and green work well together. So Christmas, yeah. of course, it works well together. Ah, I hate <laughs> those Devils Christmas jerseys so much. They make me irrationally angry. But that might be because everything of the devils. about the Devils makes me irrationally yeah. angry. So one of the things I thought it might be fun to talk about was if you take a look at every single general manager who is available right now and every single coach who is available right now, and because we live in wild times, there are some pretty good names that are available for these positions. Who would you choose if you were building a hockey team to lead them? Oh, Ron Hextall is going to be the general manager of Seattle. You think Seattle so? For sure, for Kraken. sure. Yeah. Yeah. I hope he gets it. Good for I him. think so. I mean, he'll have to be on the bench for a couple of years, but I, I do think that that's a position that he would excel in. It does fit for kind of what he wants to do, and being able to start from scratch would make it a lot easier for him to implement his preferred culture rather than yep. having to, you know, kind of contend with an existing culture that kind of runs counter to what he wants to do. So it makes some sense. The problem is that, you know, we said this with Vegas if you want people to come to games, if you want to be a successful franchise, you kind of need to have a good first season. Now Vegas just slammed it out of the park. Yeah. But we can't be in rebuild mode from day one. Yeah. That's the thing. Like you're going to get that initial push of fans just because it's new and exciting and all of that kind of stuff. But if they're an absolutely dreadful hockey team through that first season, that's going to drop off really quick. And, and we've said time and time again that Ron Hextall's veteran talent evaluation, not great. Questionable. So I think that this is his job to lose, but it's not going to be perfect is, is just my opinion. Yeah, there's – I mean, there's a couple other – like one, one guy who's hanging around in that Seattle – you know, ownership advising group is Dave Tippett. Yep. Now, granted, oh, yeah. mm-hmm. he's a coach, but 
I don't know. I mean, may you know, there have been times where coaches have become GMs. Like maybe they, maybe he's going to be if he they if they decide he's not the coach, maybe he gets in the running to possibly go upstairs. Like he he's around for a reason. And and yep. whether that's because he has aims on being the coach of the team, and he's a good coach, so I don't think that'd be a bad hire. But he one assumes he's around for a reason that's not just advising. He's expecting to get some sort of gig out of this. So I imagine he's going to factor in somehow. Yeah, you can't. I can't imagine that somebody like him would be hanging around, not really doing any kind of hockey work, if there wasn't some kind of goal at the end of it. Yeah. Yeah. So the rest of the stuff that came out of the Board of Governors meeting is decidedly less interesting, but I think it is worth just running through a little bit. Um, Obviously, they didn't roll out more expansion because, of course, um, one of the things that I found really interesting is that, so they had to move the Coyotes to the Central Division because of the new team in Seattle. And the guy that owns the Coyotes, Andrew Barraway, isn't happy about that move. He pretty he fought it pretty hard until it um, happened. And some people are speculating that it may be because he thinks it is paving the way for a relocation possibly to Houston, um, which would obviously fit perfectly in the Central Division. Um, so that's kind of interesting. Apparently... I've it, also heard that it's not quite official yet. Like, oh, yes, really? they said it was going to happen, but because oh. he's pushing back, it's not finalized okay well that's interesting and obviously it wouldn't happen until the new team comes anyway although i think it was um sean mcindoe made the point on twitter if you think that moving arizona to the central division makes sense why not just do it now like why wait you don't really need to but yeah Yeah, that's that's fair yeah yeah um i would understand if i was the owner of the arizona coyotes i would be absolutely livid if they moved me from the Pacific division to the central for no reason other than the competition in the Pacific division, not that, not that strong central is full of, you know, you've got the predators, you've got the Blackhawks, you've got, I want to say the blues, but they're, you know, they suck. Um, who else is in the central? Is it Winnipeg? Winnipeg's in the central. Yeah. Yeah, like these are teams that are very good and are going to be very good for, you know, the next couple of years at least. And with a team like Arizona that's just starting to be on the playoff bubble, it's not going to happen in the Central. No, it's going to be a very tough road for them. Yeah, I mean, things can change, though. Like, if I was Arizona, I certainly wouldn't want to be in the Central Division now like at this year because that would be a disaster for them because you're right the the top of that division is absolutely loaded and even the bad teams in that division with maybe the exception of Chicago really aren't that bad Uh, but things can change pretty quick I mean you look at the Pacific and yeah this year it's not very good but I like there's still Vegas there's still San Jose Calgary has a good core Vancouver is finally seemingly putting together some actual young talents and maybe they're on the rise and when they get good they're going to spend the cap every year so you know maybe in three years we're talking about the Pacific looking like a power and Edmonton still has Connor McDavid if they ever fire Shirelli and actually get you know some degree of intelligence running that team so you know it's not out of the realm like of possibility. One shred of intelligence. Yeah, one I don't sh- need much. One shred of intelligence. <laughs> it's not out of the realm of possibility that in two, two to three years, the Pacific looks a lot better than it does right now. Like, things shift pretty quick. And, like, even Nashville and Winnipeg, like, I think they're, they're particularly Nashville is well positioned for the future. But you're not talking about gigantic markets here. And yeah. if, if they have a bad season or two, you know, the only reason why they're spending into the cap right now is because they're just raking in the, the revenue because the the you know the arena sold out every night, but they have a couple down years. They might have to trade some people, and then suddenly those teams don't look as good anymore. So I don't know. It, I if I was if I was the the Arizona owner, I'd be no more annoyed at the possibility that a relocation would would be forced upon me than being scared about the quality of competition and what it's going to look like in three years because it could look totally different. So just to close this out, there's always, I find, one extremely random idea that comes out of putting all of these rich guys in a room together. And this year, it is shortening intermission from 18 minutes to 15 minutes for reasons. What do you guys think of this? Uh, Personally, I don't care. 
Yeah, the but, only I can only see this mattering like if you're physically at the hockey game because like you might want to pee and get a beer and get a snack and that's going to be tough to do in 15 minutes. But other than that, I can't really see why anybody would care. Like way. the athletes, I could see having a problem exactly. with it. You know, if they need the 18 minutes to get their legs back. I otherwise like if you're a fan, that doesn't matter so much. Cutting three minutes out. Yeah, I don't, I don't know why, like, I don't know what the, how you could sell this to the players. That, that, that's always kind of what I think with these, these sort of things, these sort of ideas. Like, all of these types of ideas need to be collectively bargained. And I just don't know, like, how do you sell this to the players as a positive? You're giving them three. <laughs> you get to go home earlier yeah, I mean, by I, nine I, minutes. I guess there's that, but, you know, the, the intermissions are important for these guys to, you know, catch, catch their breath and take a break and clear their head in between periods. And I, I don't know. I don't think this would have a major impact on anything, really. But it's more like, why push this? Is is there yeah. really like if, if you're going to want to if you're the owners and you're going to want to do this, you're going to have to collectively bargain it, which means that to to get the players who agree, you're going to have to give the players something else. And I just don't know why this is why this would be so integral that you'd want to give on another area to get this. You know what I mean? Yeah, because seemed- you're not you're not pushing on enough things to believe that you're going to actually have a lockout. So you need to you know, just make up come stuff. Come up with stuff. Yeah, maybe. yeah. Come up with stuff to make the players super pissed off at you, and then they will definitely not sign your first contract, and you get to take a little vacay. Um, <laughs> but so, speaking of players being angry, our old pal Tom Wilson is back in the news, but not for the reasons that he's usually in the news. This time, he was on the receiving end of a little bit of karma, if you ask me, and. Uh, yeah, it came at the hands of Ryan Reeves, who I did not know yesterday I was going to like, but here we are. Um, I love Ryan Reeves. I, I started last year when I saw him on the bench in Vegas singing along with the songs that were going through the, the PA. I love Ryan Reeves, and this move has just solidified that. <laughs> yeah, and it was, it, it, I mean, he literally gave him a Tom Wilson hit. It was a blindside, shoulder-to-shoulder hit that didn't need to happen that left Tom Wilson laid out on the ice. Like he's done to so many guys before and Reeves got five in a game, same as Wilson got for his last hit. And I find it interesting that there were a lot, I mean, I know caps fans are crazy people when it comes to this guy, but there were a lot of people saying that, you know, this should get an extra look and maybe Reeves should be suspended. But I got news for you folks. It's not the same thing because Ryan Reeves is not Tom Wilson and Ryan Reeves doesn't go out and do this every eight games. It's all, yeah. I, go ahead, go ahead, Charlie. Okay, I'll go. Um, I, I think it's also just that based on the, like based on the precedent that the the player safety department has set, like this isn't a suspendable hit, and and you can you can say that it should be, and I'm I'm open to that that philosophical argument, but based on the precedents they've set, they've ignored these hits in the past in terms of supplemental discipline. So, like. You cannot like it, but the fact of the matter is, is that the NHL. Well, I'm not saying they're okay with this hit. It, it's it's an illegal hit. He was penalized on the ice, but there really was no reason to think, based on their past actions, that they were going to they were going to discipline this hit. It's just it, it's not the type of hit they discipline. No, it's not, and you know, it's also not the type of hit that Tom Wilson typically delivers because he is head hunting out yeah. there. This was a shoulder to shoulder hit or shoulder to chest. It it wasn't ahead um and now we don't have bill mats on this show tonight so i have to be the one standing up for the goons oh, and if no. um i loved this hit i loved everything about it up until the point where tom wilson's bare head bounced off the ice that's when i didn't like it anymore um you know as much as I don't like him as a player and thinks that think that he has no place in this league, I never ever want to see someone's head bounce off the ice like that. That it, it's sickening. Um, that being said, not necessarily Ryan Reeves's fault. Like, yeah, he hit him, but he didn't pop off the helmet that came off by itself. He didn't, you know, there there was no direct. 
it wasn't a boarding call or it were a hit. It wasn't anything like that. It just was an unfortunate part of the play. Um, yeah. Up until that point, I fucking loved the hit. I loved it. They were going back and forth all night. Tom Wilson kept trying to lay hits on Ryan Reeves and, and Ryan Reeves is just so much bigger than him. <laughs> Tom Wilson was bouncing off and Ryan Reeves is laughing in his face. Like I love this type of hockey. It was extremely fun to watch. And it, it's just, it's unfortunate that it got to this place because I think that no one would be rooting for, well, people might be rooting for it, but I think that no one would be so enthusiastically rooting for Tom Wilson's demise if the league actually punished him for the things that he did. You know, they tried. They did try, yeah. They tried, and it's not, I, I don't blame the league. I actually blame, I blame him because he just doesn't learn his lesson. He just keeps doing the same shit over and over again. I, I The league tried. He's just, he's a dirty player. This was a late hit, but... You know, it wasn't the worst hit I've ever seen in my life. Yeah, and and I I do think that there's like there was a lot of finger wagging from from Capitals fans like, oh, you can't you know you you can't act all high and mighty when when Tom Wilson does dirty hits and then say how great this hit is because it happened to hap- it happened to you know occur to Tom Wilson. And quite frankly, I don't I I, I disagree. I mean, I think that and this is going to get real philosophical. We live in an unfair world. And when you can put a little justice onto an unfair world, I don't think it's 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 irrational for people to be happy about that. And the hard truth is that Tom Wilson is a dirty player and watching him get his comeuppance, like, yeah, it's it's viscerally fun. And does that make us terrible people to a degree? Maybe, but like in all honesty, when you know, when when, when a, and I'm not saying Tom Wilson is inherently a bad person, but like if someone who you know is a bad person and has always succeeded in spite of that, or maybe because of that, if they like end up going to jail, I'm gonna be pretty happy about that because you know <laughs> what? I spent probably spent the previous ten years secretly stewing and angry that that person was succeeding in spite of the fact that they're a garbage human being. So you know what? I think it's totally rational for people to be like, yeah, I'm glad Tom Wilson finally got his. I'm gonna it's, put a... it's like, you know, when the Disney villain does something and they get caught or, you know, Cruella DeVille steps in poop or whatever the fuck happens. Like, you're happy about it. You're happy when it happens. And he's hockey's villain right now. I'm going to put a positive spin on this. And I'm going to say that I hope that Tom Wilson felt a lot of pain when that happened. And it might teach him a little bit of a lesson about laying out the hits that he does. It won't. If I getting know. suspended for nearly 20 games didn't do it, this won't either. Yeah, but I'm, I'll am i tell you, I'm looking forward to the week that we get to do this show and not talk about Tom Wilson. That'll be a happy week for me. <laughs> <laughs> so, Las Vegas. It looks like the demise of the Vegas Golden Knights may have been greatly exaggerated. I'm stealing Bill Mance's words here, but they are 8-3-0 in the last 11. Um, half a game out of third in the Pacific. And they have a pretty favorable schedule coming up. Um, so what do you guys think? Do you think that we are back to seeing the good Golden Knights? Or is this just a little bit of a fluke? I never doubted them. <laughs> I fucking love this team. I, You know, they had a tough stretch. But I think they just needed to, to kind of get their shit together. But they're fine. Yeah, I, I think Vegas is for real. I mean, I don't think they're... I don't... Does that hurt you to say? No, I, I mean, now that they've had, now that they had their taste of of what hockey's really like for everyone else. I'm okay with them winning the cup. Okay. <laughs> Very good. Yes, Charlie I, 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 just I, needs them to have a little bit of suffering before they can have joy. Exactly. That was always <laughs> my point. You need to have that suffering to make it so the championship feels even better when you get it. Now they've had their suffering, now they can win. But no, they're a good team. And I don't think they're on the level of Nashville and Winnipeg. And I don't even know if they're on the level of San Jose when San Jose if they ever get to be firing on all cylinders, when they fire on all cylinders, I don't think they're on their level, but they're they're absolutely a playoff team, and their underlying numbers this year are actually really good. So, yeah, I, I think they're legit, and, you know, 
no, they weren't going to be able to recapture the exact magic of last season. That was going to be unlikely, but they're they're a good deep team. They made additions in the offseason. They're they're actually they're doing this without Paul Stasny, who's been out since the fourth game of the year. He's going to be coming back at some point. So they've basically been doing this without their second line center. And I mean, shit, you watch what the Flyers did when they missed their you know their offseason acquisition and James Van Riemsdyk. They fell the hell apart. Yeah, it so, wasn't great. Yeah, so like. <laughs> Vegas is only going to get better when Stasny comes back, and they're a good team. They're a good team. So no, this doesn't this doesn't terribly surprise me. I think they're a solid team. Is Nate Schmidt playing yet? Uh, I don't I believe, believe he's so. back. I oh, is he back? back? Yeah, he's back. He's back. Because we're twenty five games in the year. Wasn't the suspension like 20? 20. 20 oh, yeah. Hmm. I don't know what day of the week it is, so you know. I believe I it's Wednesday. Thank you. <laughs> Just a, a guess, but let's stick with the Pacific for a little while. Um. The Calgary Flames seem to be the real deal this season. Flames! Which I think is fun because they have a lot of fun guys on their team. I like watching them play. Um, right now, they're leading the Pacific at 17-9-2. They're fourth in the Western Conference. Plus 18 goal differential, differential is good for best in the NH, fifth best in the NHL. And last night, they put up nine on the Columbus Blue Jackets, who are not you know, a terrible team. So what do we think is happening in Calgary? Uh, I was going to ask what the fuck is going on in Columbus. Well, we're going to find out tomorrow. Mm. Fair. <laughs> um, you know, they they kind of do this, don't they? Don't they kind of start hot and then they go away around the All-Star break? Yeah. They're, Maybe. They're kind I just, it's of, interesting they're, they're that it's kind of on the back of their backup goalie, right? Like, Mike Smith is not playing well, but um, my mind is blank. Charlie, who's their backup? I don't know, but I know who you're talking about. It it is the backup who's who's playing well. Well, anywho, yeah, the Calgary Flames are playing very well, and it's I think it's fun. I would like. Yeah, to... I don't know who their backup is, but I like I like when good teams with fun players are good. Same. I know that Maddie has really liked watching them. Um, our, our gal on the ground, Madeline Campbell. Um, she watches a lot more mm-hmm. Flames games than she does anything else just because they're fun. They are fun. Um, okay, so we're going to stick to the Western Conference for a little while and move on up to, well, over, I guess, from Calgary to the Edmonton Oilers. Always um, a fun topic. Always fun. They Hi, Charles. Hello. They, they are, in fact, still not good. Um but they are now under the care of uh, Hitchcock, who hates goals. Um, <laughs> but what's interesting is that um, he's still leaning on McDavid and Dreisaitl. They're still getting a ton of minutes, like way more than a forward is supposed to get. Um, and it seems like, so this is something that I pulled off of nhl.com um just a little insight here there's no mistaking that the oilers look like a different team under their new coach hitchcock has brought structure and additional discipline to the team that has made the stanley cup playoffs once since 2006 um and i know that was a big thing with ken hitchcock the whole discipline and structure thing and one of the things that i found interesting um just kind of reading up a bit on edmonton today is that one of hitchcock's early goals is to work on Connor mcdavid's game which I'm not a hockey professional. Seems like the last thing I'd be worried about if I were coaching. I'm going to go ahead and say that might be the easiest task that anybody has ever set themselves. Yeah, it's, I mean, I don't know how much there is to fix there, but um, apparently recently, this is from uh, Friedman's 31 Thoughts, Ken Hitchcock asked Mike Madano to watch a few Oilers games and send some notes about McDavid. Via text, Madano said, you're always working on playing without the puck. The best way is to have McDavid kill penalties. You have to stop and start a lot more, face the puck, not swinging away from it. All the best players had to implement this or their teams would have never won. Which, fair, we hear all the time that the best players need to be good two ways, but um, this to me just seems like the last thing that Ken Hitchcock needs to work with if he's going to improve this hockey team. Yeah, it seems a little nuts to me. Like, let Connor McDavid be Connor McDavid. Yeah, like you have a a roster full of schlubs. Maybe work on making them better at hockey and let Connor McDavid just be amazing at all times. I I, I don't know. 
I, I guess the only the I mean I agree Connor McDavid is the the best player in hockey in my opinion. Um, and the idea that like he needs to dramatically improve his game is kind of dumb. Uh, at the same time, I guess the, the best justification for this is that maybe Ron Hitchcock has basically decided that it's impossible to improve the play of these schlubs. So instead, why don't I probably am better? I'm better served focusing on improving the you know getting even more out of the guy who what McDavid's only 21, 22. I think he's 21. Yeah, like he's not 22. He's not in his prime yet. So one assumes he's going to get even better by the time he's you know 24, 25, 26. And maybe Hitchcock's thing is I have a better chance of squeezing more out of him than I do you know forcing Milan Lucic to play like he's 26 again. I don't know. I'm not saying it's smart, but maybe this is actually the best way to, to you know, to, to improve this team is to just try to make Connor McDavid even better than he is now because the other guys aren't getting any better. But we can move on from Edmonton because they are kind of also a team that I'm tired of talking about. And we can move on to my next topic, which I creatively titled LOL Chicago because I hate <laughs> them. And I like to I like to revel in their terribleness um and it i looks, respect that yeah it looks like firing a very good coach in joel quinville did not solve any problems for them that's a real shocker um they were six six and three when they changed co- coaches since they changed they are three eight and two and have lost four in a row they are 20th in scoring with 77 goals but their bigger problems have been in their own zone they've allowed 103 goals in 28 games which is a lot and Corey Crawford continues to be terrible. And part of the reason that I wanted to bring this up is that uh, Flyers fans are obsessed with mediocre goaltenders. And I feel like Corey Crawford's name is one that I hear kicked around a lot when we're thinking about who we're going to try to steal from another team to improve the Flyers goaltending. So I think it's important that we all take a look at Corey Crawford and realize that he's actually bad. I really, like... I hesitate calling any goalie bad at this point just because, like, anyone is better than the Flyers goalies right now. Anybody. Is he going to be the answer to our prayers? No. I mean, yeah. But is he better better than the group of dudes that we have now? Probably. Most of them are. Just about anybody in the league is right now. Uh, You're not wrong. (laughs) So, like... (laughs) Anybody would be an improvement on, hey, we finally have one goaltender with a save percentage with that starts with a nine. Okay. I mean, you make a fair point. However, no. I mean, I don't want him. <laughs> I don't want him. I just yeah. am saying, like, our guys are trash. I mean, you, Kelly, you've been pretty anti-Crawford for a while now, I think. I don't like him. Like, he was real. He's... Yeah, so far this year, he's been not that good. For the previous five seasons before the concussion, he was great. Like, maybe not top of the league great, but consistently in the, like, going through his save percentages. Since his last bad year save percentage-wise was 2011-2012. Here's his save percentages, like, Like, this is a good goalie. Now, granted, like, maybe the concussion and and the subsequent, you know, recovery process, like, maybe he's just never going to be the same guy, and that's the risk. But this is a good goalie. Like, if he can get back to where he was pre-injury, like, yeah, he's only got two years left on his deal. I wouldn't hate it. It's obviously a risk because of the injury, but, like, it's not like this guy was bad. He's a good goalie. Wait, how many years does he have left? He has this year and next. Oh, a two-year deal? Yeah. A two-year deal, Kelly! You know how I like a two-year deal. I might have to rethink things if if he's only got two years left. I mean, I guess I wouldn't hate it. I just... I don't want to give the Chicago Blackhawks any of my nice toys because I hate them a lot. (laughs) That's fair. (laughs) Well, that's a different story, I think. (laughs) Listen, I never claim to be rational, so... Yeah, that's what it is. I just wanted to laugh at Chicago being bad for a second, so we can move on now. Yeah, but their coach is really handsome, and and as the people point out, that's the only thing I care about. He is extremely <laughs> handsome, um, but I think I was under the impression that you picked your favorite hockey players based on attractiveness, not coaches, but I could be wrong. Well, you know, I realized that I'm in my 30s now, so... <laughs> you got to move on to the dads. 
<laughs> we're, we're looking at dads now. <laughs> All right. So speaking of um, what I'm told is a handsome hockey player. And of course, bringing it back to the Leafs, since I think, and we have not spoke about this, but I have a feeling that Stephanie's and my ultimate goal for this show is to just make it a Leafs podcast, but we're on our way. We're working just me, you and Charlie tonight. Yeah. We're working towards it. Um, obviously finally our long national nightmare is over and William Nylander has signed with the Leafs Dubas, who I'm guessing did this on purpose, gave him a very nice six years, 6.9 million per, and he will be debuting tomorrow night against the wings Thursday night against the wings. Um, one of the things that I found was interesting. I mean, first, I want to know what you guys think of the deal. You think it's fair? It seems pretty fair. Yeah, I think it's fair. I think it's good. Um, and, you know, if we're going to compare him to Travis Konechny, if that's the deal that he gets, I'm happy with it. I mean, I hope Konechny gets less than this. Me too. Well, I yeah. hope so too, but I'd be happy with it. I mean, like I mean Nylander is better than Konechny. Like, I think just, is he, though? Even I just think from so. Even just a production standpoint, like, Connect me. What would connect me have last year? Like forty something points. I don't remember. Uh, let me check. He definitely quick. did not have sixty something points. Yeah, last year he had twenty four goals, twenty three assists, forty seven points. So Nylander's had what two sixty point seasons already. He has, yes. Yeah, I, I, I would if I had to guess, I would think Connect me probably falls somewhere in like the five ish range if they give him a six year deal, and maybe they won't. Maybe they'll give him a bridge deal, but. Uh, no, this 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 deal strikes me as good for is good for Toronto. I, I think they they got what they wanted, which was cost control and reasonably priced, really good players, so that they can more easily fit in, uh, you know, Mitch Martyr and Austin Matthews when they sign their big deal. So, and and, and really, you know, you got to give Dubas credit. The risk of of playing hardball with Nylander wasn't just that they weren't gonna that they weren't gonna sign him. Like that was a risk, sure. But the real risk was that the team would be dramatically weaker for the first two months of the year if they went on this kind of hard line, played until the deadline kind of thing, with Nylander not on the team. And the, the Leafs are doing fine. So they didn't—I'm sure they're a worse team without him, but it's not like they fell behind in the standings because they waited it out with uh, with Nylander. So Dubas was right to gamble on that. He trusted that the guys that the, the guys that were left were going to be good enough to— to not dig a hole for the team, and they're they're right in the in the running for best team in the East, even without Nylander. So that paid off. And you know that Tavares guy, that guy. Like, he's pretty good. He's, he's not, not bad. bad. I find he's like he's fine. I find myself wondering though, like when I look at this deal, it seems like it's reasonable for both parties. Like it's a pretty nice term. It's good money, and so I wonder. Like, what were they so far apart on for so Why long? Why did it take yeah. to the very last second? Like, what was it that was holding this up? Because it's it doesn't seem like with this contract, either party had to give a whole lot. I just, yeah, I can't understand why it took until like 4.20 p.m. on Saturday for them to get this done. It was later than that, I think. Like, it was, the, the deadline was 5 o'clock. I don't think we heard until like 4.55. Yeah, it was minutes before the deadline. Yeah, I mean, I'm assuming they signed it before we heard about it. But yeah, it was right up there to the deadline. And it just seemed, I, I kind of expected, I think, something a bit, if he signed, something a bit more one-sided given how long it took. But this seems reasonable for both sides. So I'm not sure what they were yeah, waiting I don't, for. I don't, I don't know what the hell was going on there. But I think the most interesting little nugget that came out of this um, was I saw it reported somewhere that uh, Kyle Dubas gave Nylander kind of like a promise that as long as he's the general manager of the Leafs, he would not trade him. But he did not put a no-move clause or a no-trade clause in the contract that he presented him, which would obviously prevent him from doing exactly that. So you think that's a bit of a an empty promise? I'm thinking it probably is. I mean, I don't know if it's an empty promise, but I do know that the fact that there isn't a no trade or no move clause in that contract isn't it's not necessarily speaking to anything that Dubas did wrong or did right or whatever. You're not allowed to give a guy no movement clause, I believe, until he turns twenty seven. Oh really? So, yeah, so I think the did most not I'm not that. I'm not sure how I'm not sure how his age goes, but like the most he could have done is if like let's say the final year of Nylander's deal is after he turns twenty seven he could have given him a no movement or no trade clause for that final year of the deal, but gotcha. you can't, but you can't give a no move or no trade to someone who hasn't yet. I, I think it's basically like 
once they become free agent eligible, that's when you can give a no move or no trade. So it's not like he could have done that. And and again, I'm not sure exactly how this falls from a you know when he turns 27 and may play out exactly that. But yeah, you can't. That that was the that was the whole reason why uh why the Flyers traded uh, Carter when they did because. He was given a no-movement clause. It just hadn't kicked in yet because he hadn't yet turned 27 when they traded him. Oh. See, I learned something from you today, Charles. There you go. That's why I like having you around. You teach <laughs> me stuff. I'm glad it can be somewhat useful. <laughs> All right, so now it's less interesting because he probably does mean that he's not going to trade him. He just couldn't give him a no-trade clause. <laughs> All right. How do you guys feel about this show? I think we did pretty good without Bill. Yeah. Yeah. You Anything else? Yeah. Anything else? Thank you. Anybody anybody else want to talk about? Nope. I need the Seattle team to be called the Kraken or the Sockeyes because I like the name Sockeyes. I like Sockeyes. I think I might be the only person that actively hates it, but... No, there's a lot of people that actively hate it. I don't like it at all. I feel like I just need it to be the Kraken because I need a bit of fun in my life, but I know it's not going to be. It's probably going to be the Sockeyes, especially now with this whole red thing hanging around. Yeah. Right? I think it's fun. I I like the Sockeyes because I think it's like a... You know, it's it's unique to Seattle, but also it kind of has that, like, like conjures up that uh, the vision of like somebody getting punched in the eye, which strikes me as very hockey. Uh, I had I not like. considered that, and I might come around on it now. <laughs> also, uh, I like alliteration, so there's that good. too. And yeah. Kelly, I will I will add this in. I just checked uh, Nylander's contract, and he mm-hmm. does indeed have a modified no trade clause in the final year of the deal, which is the first. Oh, year that he's look at that! Out. See, Kyle Dubas really is a sweet boy, and he means what he says. There we go. And he says what he means. Unlike Ron Hextall, who doesn't let you eat pizza. Um, all right. That's all we have for this week on Ice Sport Radio. Thank you to Charlie and Stephanie. Bill, you were extremely missed. I hope you feel better. Thanks for listening. Have a great week, everybody. Hello, I'm Spencer Hall from SB Nation. And I want to tell you about my new show, It Seems Smart. It Seems Smart is a show about people doing things that for some reason or another, seems smart at the time. Those things might include doing a little cocaine and driving a bike up a mountain. Or, I don't know, maybe racing 100 miles per hour across the country in the middle of the night with no one's permission. Or even stealing a bat from an umpire's room in a Major League Baseball park. Check it out, and if you like it, tell a friend. I'm Spencer Hall. Don't do anything smart. <laughs>